You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the O2 Podcast. Tonight, it is Andrew and Paul. Paul, how's it going? Good, bud. How you doing? Oh, yeah, buddy. We're just living the dream. One day at a time. Whatever. It was 20 degrees today. and It was miserable. It's cold. It's cold. It's cold. It's going to be like 68 or something like that on Wednesday this week when I'm in Nashville. Thank you, Ohio. Thank you. Yeah. But yeah, you know it's cold when the eggs are freezing out there in the in the chicken coop. So the uh <laughs> what's up? Uh let's see, we start off with our, our little uh announcement here about Go Wild. Um Go Wild is an online platform for uh, hunters and anglers, outdoorsmen, all kinds of out and women, uh all over the place. Uh what a cool app. It's uh encourages you to post your pictures of of your catches of your harvest whatever you guys are doing what podcast you're listening to if you went out for a hike logging workouts it's got a lot of stuff on there as well as a store and uh all kinds of deals and stuff going on there get you ready for turkey season coming up but paul and i have been uh working with these guys now for a little bit writing some articles for them and they started posting those on their on their website and uh that's always fun. The picture of, of your of your article is pretty funny. Yeah. So it, it I took the uh a lot of what Mike taught us and told us about the putting your bows to bed for the winter. And I, I happened to, because you know, I just happened to have my bow in my bedroom. Uh I'm like, what would be better than a picture of the bow in my bed? So I took the picture and I sent it to the guys that go wild, and then I sent it to my wife and uh, one side was very happy to see the picture of the bow in the bed, and the other side wasn't. And uh, you know, I guess your wife probably thought you were an idiot. Oh, she knows I'm an idiot. There's no thinking there. So, but anywho, yeah. if you're not on a uh, go wild, I suggest you need to go check it out. Good stuff over there. You can look us up. We've got O2 podcast page as well as uh, Andrew Muntz, and then Paul Campbell also has his page. And join the join the crew there. So. Paul, what do we got news-wise? All right, so let's see here. So this, the DNR, they had their 2022-2023 uh, deer hunting proposals presented to the Ohio Wildlife Council. And so this is this is kind of neat. This is um, kind of the way that our, our rules and regulations in the state of Ohio are, how we change them as, as the public. So if you don't like something as a hunter – uh, or an angler, the state of Ohio gives you a chance to comment on the proposed rule changes for the for the upcoming hunting and fishing season. So you can go to wildohio.gov 
that that time started today, February fourteenth, and runs until March sixteenth. So you can you can um, you can comment on those the, the rule changes. And then there's a statewide hearing on all proposed rule changes will be held on Thursday, March 24th, 2022 at 9 a.m. So nothing, nothing crazy. Um, they're removing some, there's a proposal to remove some of the chronic wasting disease surveillance areas on, on public land. Um, that would be like pretty big cool. island was, was being pulled off and some some of the other other ones you know north where there's some cwd issues so that's cool i think that's a good sign like if they're if they're removing them then uh that's a good sign that the uh maybe the, they didn't find a whole lot this year so we'll see it'll be yeah, interesting to talk definitely, when, i mean when we talk to mike again yeah so we got mike and lindsey thomas coming up here in a few weeks so look forward to that keep an eye out for that episode dropping Mike Thomas or Lindsay Thomas from the, uh, the deer association. And then Mike Tonkovich from the, obviously the, uh, Ohio department of wildlife. So that's going to be a really good one. Months. You got the kill numbers. They, they released those kind of in between our last recording session. I do. So we've got our 2021, 2022 deer season stats, a total of 196,988 deer were harvested. Just over nine, yeah, that's a lot. Almost, almost two hundred thousand. So, um, which I think we look when we looked up the one day, uh, we're over just over three hundred thousand uh, whitetail hunters or hunters in Ohio. So, almost two thirds of the hunters are getting a deer theoretically. So, uh, archery wise, just over ninety six thousand firearms, almost almost eighty thousand muzzleloader, just over twelve thousand. The youths. The Utes, they took out 7,600 plus, and then almost 1,200 in the controlled firearm hunts. Paul, do you want to guess what county had the most deer harvested again? I'm going to say, I'm going to say those you damn hillbillies out there in Shockton County. That's my guess. They're not hillbillies. They're slayers, man. I love them. Those are my people, man. Am I right? Yes. Number one, yeah, over right. 7,000. killing machines out there. They're in Shockton County. Good for you, boys. Ashton Buell, them killing fools. Got to be top five, right? No. No. What? So I'll go down the, off down the line here. You got Shockton, Tuscarawas, Muskingum, Knox, Licking, represent. Yeah. Uh, Ashton Buell, <laughs> Guernsey, Holmes, Carroll, and Trumbull. So, again, it's that. That's it. That's northeast. It's north central. Ashton Buell boys are slacking. All that damn snow up there. They can't uh and get out and hunt in it. So that's true. That's so, good year. Good good season. Eight, I don't know how that stacks up against years of the past. Yeah, that's I wish I had that in front of me, but eighty-five thousand bucks, almost ninety thousand does, a, over eighteen thousand button bucks, and then uh, almost thirty four hundred there were bucks with shed antlers and bucks with antlers less than three inches. So pretty Pretty good numbers there, I think. But we'll again, we'll Damn have to ask, year, ask Mike bro. how that holds up compared to the years past. Yeah, for sure. It'd be need to find out. So, so let's see. No, I, I didn't know. Obviously, no hunting. I mean, I think the only thing available to hunt the last couple of weeks or last week was, I think, rabbit, maybe some goose. I, I honestly don't know. But man, I, I, I haven't even been outside much. So I went out and I took down all my stands that I had my sets that were sticks and platforms still out there. Um, 
but it was like not even good walking outside because of that ice. I was gonna, and then the mix of having snow and um, dead foliage and stuff wasn't good for finding sheds, um, and it just wasn't fun to walk through. So hopefully we gotta no. get rid of that. But Paul, before we get into that, before we get into that, we I just want a couple more things. We got maple syrup festivals going on coming up here. Yeah. So uh, if you've never been. These are pretty fun. It, it's pretty interesting how much it takes to get maple syrup to your finished product and the ways of the past versus some of the newer ways. I, I've been to a couple of these uh, over the years. If you've got little kids, they'll be fun. So there's going to be one up in Hocking Hills, Houston Woods, Indian Lake Development, uh, their 35th annual maple syrup festival, and then Malabar Farm State Park also has a maple syrup festival. It's on odnr.gov's web website if you want to take a look and some of the dates and times. But, Paul, we would be remiss if we did not take the opportunity to talk about ice fishing in Hudson. I'm sure <laughs> that most that. people at this point have heard the uh, story about what ice fishing may bring uh and I won't get into it because I, I don't know all the details, but I know enough that it's funny. When the Hudson mayor, who has now resigned in the wake of uh, the ice fishing debacle, um, and I guess that that's a per Cleveland.com. Uh, yeah, so he was in the, the, the council meeting there, and they were talking about allowing ice fishing in Hudson, in which he said once you have – ice fishing then you're going to have shanties and when you have shanties what do those bring and the obvious answer is prostitution so uh and that's where he went there he went there and uh yeah the the best part of the video was the poor bastard next to this guy after he opens his mouth the guy guy said it was left just kind of like looks around and was like, oh shit, did he just say that? Like, this is being recorded. Okay. He just said that. What an idiot. Like, I, I mean, like, if you live in Hudson, Ohio, and you voted for this moron, like, come on. This is not the first time. I, I saw some other stuff where he said some dumb shit. I, I don't even remember what it was. I mean, I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not going to Hudson to ice fish, but I think ice fishing shan't lead to I prostitution. S- you want know the dude may be right. I don't know. Yeah. Well, he- just like, that should be your main concern about you know ice fishing shanties is prostitution it's it's come on man somewhere what an ass somewhere somewhere (laughs) i read where hudson sold like ten thousand fishing licenses the last couple days but that's hilarious yeah everyone's like oh ice fishing yeah sick bastards so good luck to all you ice fishermen up there outside of akron but um I thought when, when when you were diving into this topic, I thought you were going to talk about our uh, our friends from down south, Hootay Nation. I hope you guys are recovering, licking your wounds. Good year, good season. You know, I'd rather play and lose than you know not play at all. I guess so. I got, all I can say, Paul's go Browns. So, um, yeah, but go on to this week's topic of discussion. It is that kind of lull, and we've got shed season for if you're an average deer hunter or whatever so these are always fun it's it's it, when you find one it it it's it is special because it's part of the animal right and and you take it home and i don't know i just like to look at them but kids think they're really really cool the dog really thinks they're cool but 
Um, we have Steve Shirk from Shirk's Guide Service over in, uh, he's in North Central Pennsylvania. But I actually forgot. Hang on a second. This guy's awesome. Yeah. He's a good talker. He does a lot of trail cam work too. So I know he's like a big, a big woods hunter. He, I don't, I don't know if he does like a lot of stuff with Bo Martonic, but I think they know each other from what their Instagram feeds. I think they seem to do, but the guy's a deer killing machine and he's got a really good system to like track and pattern deer and find bedding areas. Um, I don't know. It's really, he's, he's just, he's one of those guys that like puts a lot of effort into the preseason scouting and gets really detailed. And we dive into a little bit about that uh, with, with kind of his, his process of how he, he, he tracks data and what he does with that data. It's really, really interesting. I think you guys are going to like it. So, all right, because I was a terrible host and I did not give him the opportunity to uh, read off his <clears throat> credential or his stuff. His Instagram page is Shirk's Guide Service, all one word. So Shirk is spelled S-H-E-R-K-S, S-H-E-R-K-S, Guide Service. Uh, that's his Instagram page. And then his website is shirksguideservice.com. But yeah, as Paul was saying, the dude, he lives for this. It's all big woods, mountain, mountain deer. Public land. Public land. And... We see big deer in Ohio a lot, and you just think, oh, they're eating all the corn and stuff. These deer eat dirt, okay? <laughs> like, obviously, some they, of the deer that he's got trail cam pictures a, of are insane. When you're over there, you wouldn't you wouldn't know these deer are out there. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Uh, I mean, these are, these yeah. would be big deer in Ohio, let alone up in the, the mountains chewing on sticks. So, I hope everybody enjoys it. Hope you learned something. Um, Steve's got quite the interest here in the in the deer, and I think he gave us a pretty good, um, at least an intro or something something to think about, and when you're out shed hunting and scouting for next year. Yeah, it's good stuff. Find sheds, tag us, tag us on Go Wild, tag us on Instagram. You can tag us on Twitter. I'll interact. Facebook, don't worry about it. Negative. Or where's that horn? <laughs> One of these, I go, oh, we got like a little horn thing. I don't know. I can't hear it now, but Facebook horn. We're, we're still trying to figure yeah, out this fancy one, stuff. One out. of these days. Oh, wait, I think this so, wait, Appreciate on. you guys listening, man. Paul, you ready? Uh, Paul, you ready? I think I figured it out already. Let's do it. Do it. I can't hear it. You can't hear it? Oh, okay. Well, oh, you're bobbing your head like an idiot. I can't, <laughs> I can't hear anything. So, all right. Upcoming episodes, we got Scott Ellis from Woodhaven. A dude's won like every possible turkey calling award competition you can imagine. He's coming on. We got Lindsay and Mike coming up, really good. And we've got a, I'm not gonna I'm gonna tease it a little bit here, months, but we've got like a really cool Sportsman's Nation little discussion coming up. Ooh, a little round table. With some some little round table. You guys, it's gonna be. We're gonna have we're, we're gonna have like a beer counting tracker, like how many beers all of us drank during this talk it's going to be nuts it's going to be great it's going to be an instant classic in the uh, o2 podcasting hall of fame i think so good stuff appreciate you guys listening and welcome back everybody welcome to the o2 podcast today we are joined with our special guest steve shirk of shirk's guide service steve how are you today i'm doing great how about you guys oh you know we're a little depressed over here because deer season. 
Yeah, may, maybe I should uh, rephrase. I could be better, but doing still doing good. <laughs> uh, Steve is joining us from Pennsylvania, right, Steve? Over there in the northern part of the yep. You, yep, you got it. North, north, central, northwestern PA. And I know that area pretty well uh, from some of my uh, endeavors, but it is Big Woods country. And today we are going to talk to Steve a little bit about kind of this late winter scouting, use of trail cameras, shed hunting, what you can do now to help prepare you for next year. And we'll get all of his info at the end. But let me just tell you, if you want a cool Instagram account to follow with some pictures of some monster mountain bucks, Steve's got it. That is uh, quite the Instagram account. But Well, thanks. No, no problem. Okay. So, Steve, we don't, we're done. And I know a lot of Ohio is, is like corn cornfields and, and flat. So it's a little bit different than your train, but in general, I think a lot of the scouting and stuff that we're talking about can be utilized either, either side of the, um, you know, the field, so to speak, but, um, yep. let's start with, let's start with sheds. Okay. So you are really, really good at picking up sheds and we, I've seen a lot of the pictures and stuff that you've posted. Um, how, how are you going about looking for sheds at this time of the year? Is there any, what kind of things are you trying to locate and, and focus your time? I've heard people talk about spend, you know, 80% of your time and 20% of the locations based on, you know, bedding or cover, or, you know, rubs and stuff like that. What, what kind of stuff do you look for when you're out? Well, I mean, first of all, I'm really not one of those guys that, um, is out there to just see how many sheds I can get each season. I like to go after particular deer, you know, especially, you know, when I know uh, a bigger deer has survived the hunting season and, and also, you know, it might've been one that I put a lot of time into in the fall and I didn't get, um, it's kind of like a second chance, even though I'm, I'm not going to be able to kill the deer now, but just to maybe get his antlers is kind of like, you know, a second place prize, um, so my main focus is targeting individual bucks for their sheds. Uh, that's my favorite thing to do. Um, and a lot of that's going to you know, be based on, you know, uh, running cameras, uh, right after hunting season to make sure they made it. And, um, you know, just putting the boots on the ground and just trying to see what's out there. And we can touch on, um, more on like what I look for when I, uh, when I am shed hunting a particular buck, but I just wanted to make sure that, you know, if you're, if you're one of those shed hunters that's just looking for the guy to tell you how to get a hundred sheds this season, I might not be that guy, but an individual deer, like that's more my style. Gotcha. So how long have you been doing that as far as, as really going after one specific deer? Um, and I, I mean, it's I probably, this year but yeah it's probably been about been doing that pretty heavy about five or six years and i'll be honest with you some years i don't you know get certain deer sheds and in between looking for a certain buck i always i mean i always find other sheds too um but uh the biggest deer that i've ever hunted uh was a buck named goliath um never did real well hunting him to kill him but i always did pretty good getting the sheds and uh I think the main key with that buck was I really understood his wintering patterns. Um, he would actually, from where he was in the summer to where he would winter, 
it was actually a seven mile distance. And that's just as the crow flies up and over mountains and through valleys. I mean, that I can't, I'm not really even sure how far, but it was, when you do it that way, it's probably closer to 10. But uh, I just had a really good knack on, you know, getting on him every winter. Uh, and also he wintered in the same general area. So, uh, you know, that when I first pursued that buck, and when was having some success until he got killed, uh, it was kind of like, wow, this is, this is really cool. Like, it's just like hunting a, a big buck, but you only get to get a sheds, you know? Okay. We got to back up there. Yeah. But you had a deer Goliath that you would find his sheds like seven miles away from where he got killed. Is that what you're saying? I, I actually have no clue where he got killed. I, I, um, I obviously it wasn't me or one of my clients and, and really it was never a deer that I was really confident in killing because I would get him in an area all summer and then I'd lose him, you know, roughly late August, early September. A couple of times I got pictures of him in hunting season, but it was never anything consistent, but then seven miles, uh, as the crow flies, um, from, from where I would always get him in the summer, but, and then to where I, he would winter, that's, that's what was the seven mile gap. Like, so, and that made him really hard to hunt because, or at least actually hunt to kill because there was so much area in between there. And that's where I really think I struggled. I never really was able to, to nail him down. Um, we did one time, the first time I ever really got to know him uh was when i was guiding one of my gun clients and we almost had an opportunity at him but that was when he shifted into his wintering area so i mean i could tell you we could go on and on about that deer as well but uh but the reason why i really brought him up was once i started you know going after his sheds every winter every year i after that i was kind of targeting the biggest deer i knew that was still alive and then I would try to go and find the sheds. Okay. So in transition out of that, like, I guess my question is, did you just happen to find that spot where he was wintering seven miles away or were the, were you out setting new cameras for the, the following season and thought this looks like a good area where you, what were you looking for to find? I mean, I, I know mm-hmm. how big some of those woods are over there. And to me, it most yeah. it's just daunting to even think about where to start and you use basic stuff. Yep. But I mean, how did you just, just, how did you just stumble upon an area seven miles away where you're finding this deer? Well, actually I was never even going after that deer. Um, okay. we, we stumbled the first time I stumbled onto him was when I was guiding a guy and then it was out of pure luck. The following summer, I got him on camera seven miles away. And to be honest with you for the first year or two, even though he looked identical, I was like, ah, I can't be the same deer. But when I, when the one year when I got both of his sheds, that's when I was like, no, it's him. It's definitely the same deer. So it was, you know, identical match. He had, uh, you know, he had this little split G2. Um, you could just tell it was exactly the same deer and he would disappear from a summering area. And, you know, Hey, I mean, it seems like seven miles is like impossible, but for a deer that even though it's not very common, it's not hard for a buck, a mountain buck, especially to travel seven miles in the matter of even two, three months, you know? Yeah. 
no that, okay so that that was you answered my question there and uh, yep. i know that you know what you get in uh into uh, obviously into the rut they really can move and move but yep find it seven miles away and i i could sit here and do a <laughs> perimeter loop of seven miles and where the hell all the deer could be from my house but uh, which is yeah what keeps it interesting right so um you obviously have got spots out there in the woods that you have had success with that you take your client yep. towards if you're going into a brand new area and i know you're doing a lot of public stuff what are some things that you look for or like somebody needs to look for to take these clues to utilize towards next year or like Goliath, does it not even matter because their winter bed is going to be completely different um, than the summer bed and, and all that kind of stuff. Yep. Oh, there's a lot of different factors that go into that. Um, number one is you have to gauge how bad the winter is a really bad winter with a lot of deep snow, a lot of real cold temperatures those bucks are not going to be where they are in the fall or other times of year because they're going to have to seek out like more evergreen habitat. They're going to be going down lower in valleys where there's less snow and less wind. So if it's more of a mild winter, you have a much better chance of postseason scouting and collecting information that will be more relevant to what the what those deer are doing in the fall. So, you know, it all depends. And then also, you also have to understand that every buck is a little bit different. Obviously, not every buck has a seven-mile shift. A lot of them do have shifts different times of the year. Um, but you, but most importantly, you just got to keep an open mind and just kind of learn a buck, you know, as, he, as you're pursuing him and uh, just kind of be, be ready to expect and adjust to just about anything. I was, I was gonna, I, I had some questions that, that we can yeah. jump into because the, I, I found like maybe three sheds my entire life. Two of them were on yeah. a fairway on a golf course. I was just driving by having to look at like, Oh shit, there's deer antlers. The other one, uh, a dog brought to me. Um, <laughs> so I put literally zero effort into finding sheds, but I get super mm -hmm. jealous when I watch people like on Instagram and Twitter, sure. they find, you know, they're finding like what really makes me jealous is the guys that, and, and there's a, a woman, I can't remember her name on Instagram, but she's like a shed hunting, just like savant <laughs> for elk. I mean, she's got like, just like a driveway full of elk sheds. So obviously yeah. like, you, you know, you, you're, you're definitely kind of like a maniac. It sounds like you want that, that second prize trophy. I didn't get to kill this deer, exactly. but find your antlers. So I appreciate yeah. that. So what, so if you're just like, so you, you pick out this target buck. Okay. I want this, not Goliath. We're going to call him. What's another deer you got in mind this year? Is it Goliath or is it something else? Um, well, I mean, this year I, I can't, I can't say I have any real particular names. Probably the one I'm going after the most is just one I call the big eight. So you could say, the, you could the say big, that. The big eight. So, so you've got the big yep. eight targeted. And so you've been pat, like you have a relationship with these deer midsummer. It could be years long, but if it's just, you know, midsummer, yep. To now through scouting, through hunting, through trail cams, you've got like their general idea. So of, of like where this deer is at, right? Yep, exactly. So, so, and that's so yep. So where do you go first? Do you go to his bedroom? Do you go to the food source? Do you go to the corridors? Like are you hitting um, like old scrapes or rubs? Like what's what's kind of your first plan? For looking for sheds, we're talking, right? Like yes, yeah, looking for shed sheds. Hunting. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. So I find most sheds, probably like 80% of sheds in bedding areas. But the tricky thing is, is bucks are real 
temperamental this time of year. They're still real spooky. They don't want to be bothered. You know, they're kind of in a rest recovery mode because, you know, they just got over the rut. Winter's beating up on them. They got to preserve their calories. So if you go into these bedding areas too early, I've learned that, you know, and he hasn't dropped his antlers, you can push him out and he'll go find security something maybe a mile or two away or, you know, a lot, you know, it can, can really screw things up. And that's why I love to run trail cameras right now because I'm watching and seeing when particular bucks drop. And I think that's the biggest key to targeting individual bucks for sheds because you don't want to pressure them too much. Um, now, one thing I do often is even if I'm not say, you know, I'm not really sure if a certain buck uh, has dropped yet. You can pound food sources this time of year for sheds. They can still be pretty good because the it's a bed to food pattern this time of year. Uh, that they're just thinking about rest, security, and food. There's not a lot of other things going on, um, and they're hitting the food sources mainly at night. So they're not. You're not going to disturb their pattern by looking for their sheds and you know in feed this time of year. It's those bedding areas that you really got to watch out for. But the problem is, is bucks are probably spending, you know, once again, 80% of their time in the bedroom on their bellies right now. So that's, the, in my opinion, the most likely place you're going to find the antlers. So you just got to play your cards right. So, Steve, I on on every social media platform and like my little profile, I put that I'm a terrible deer hunter because I am. I am a awful deer hunter. Um so help me understand how big a bedding area is for a buck. Are we talking like, you know, a mile square, like radius, or is it just like a couple of hundred yards? You know, this dude's picked out some good spots, you know, based off of the rain of terrain features. Yep. And he's just going to, that's his spot. How big is a buck's bedding area? Like everyone throws that around. How big is it? Yep. I mean, that varies as well, but a lot of times I think this time of year, if they're not disturbed and they're in a somewhat, I don't want to say perfect environment, but if they got what they need, that bedding area might be roughly like a 300 yard square, something like that. Uh, they sometimes, and in, in if it's in a perfect situation, heck, I've seen where a bucket looked like he probably used the same two, three beds within a, you know, within 20 yards of each other for days or weeks too. They don't want to move a lot right now. They, once again, uh, they're trying to preserve as much energy as they can. Their bodies are telling them that, you know, especially in the big woods this, in this year, you know, and really most years, it's not like they can go to the cornfield or the soybeans and just fill their bellies up easily and go back in the woods a couple hundred yards and lay down all day. Like they're digging through two feet of snow to eat fern roots that, have very minimal nutrition. Uh, yeah, if there is acorns, it's still a lot of work digging through the snow to get them. And, you know, browse can be even hard to come by. So even though they will have specific feeding areas, the majority of their time is in those bedding areas. And even in the bedroom, it's not, they're not covering a ton of ground. So generally it's, it's fairly small this time of year. If, if they have everything they need, sometimes you know, like another thing that they'll, that they'll feed on this time of year is they'll follow the loggers. 
you know, as the loggers are cutting the trees down, the deer come in at night and they chew on the, the ends of the trees, you know, the buds and the, the tips and brows. Um, but once, once the loggers are done in a certain area and the deer have eaten all that browse, they move to where the loggers go next. So, you know, in the big woods, you, in, in public land, you have very little control of, of controlling what the deer do at all. Uh, the deer just go wherever mother nature is kind of supporting them in, in a certain way. So once again, you, you got to hunt these kind of areas more with an open mind. So well, like, will the deer specific like box that's what we're looking for during this time of the year obviously like like ground cover vegetation is non-existent so if we're talking about cover i mean they're gonna go i mean it could be just like a brush pile i mean it could be like like you said the the treetops um yep. so there, i would imagine that they're and just tell me if i'm wrong like it's gonna be like the, the, the cover that they're that they have available to them is like super tiny like small there's not a lot of options right and once again it depends on the area i mean what they really like and during a bad winter and we're getting kind of getting into a bad winter now is they really like evergreen like hemlock pine spruce um it it kind of blocks a lot of the snowfall it blocks wind um it just makes a more easier environment for them problem is though in those areas is hemlock uh if they do even feed on hemlock or pine or spruce it's hardly any nutrition as far as browse and then inside of those areas, there's very little um, for food sources because they don't, it doesn't let any light in uh, for plants and browse to grow. So it's more of just a bedding area. Um, if, if I want to just jump out, if I was to, to explain the most ideal wintering big woods area, and, and these are somewhat common, is when they go into an area and they clear cut it but they rarely cut the hemlocks because hemlocks generally don't have much for timber value. So they'll clear cut an area and leave all the hemlock. And then around the hemlock, you'll get a ton of regrowth. So in the winter, they'll have a ton of browse in those areas, plus the, the, the hemlock for bedding. Those are probably the best places uh, for someone like me and that hunts the big woods. That's probably your best big wood scenario for sheds. So Steve, I, this is, I'm, I'm just going to ask stupid questions because that's what we're here for. Um, what does a buck bed look like? And I, I know, I think I know the answer, but I also I'm not sure I do because we hear about doe bedding and we hear about versus buck bedding, mm -hmm. but you stumble upon something that clearly is an animal has been sleeping there. Right. I, I mean, I've, I've yep. done it. Is it one of these things like you got a solo bed, so that's a buck, you got a bunch of them. So it's does. Is it, is there a different type of topography that one likes over the other i mean do you if you got bucks that are in bachelor group they could have multiple beds right i yep. guess that's yep. my no that's still a great question and, and there's times i find scenarios like you know i'm really not sure but generally when you because all deer even even a lot of bucks this time of year grouped up together so generally most of the bedding is going to be in a group right now and doe bedding is when you you can really tell when you see those little, the smaller, like a lot of different size beds because you'll have your adult does and last year's fawns. Um, also buck bedding tends to be more well used. Like those beds, they'll pound on them because bucks, 
all especially mature bucks they always get the best in every area like they're going to have the most prime location to bed and as long as there's not much pressure and and the you know there's at least food in the general area they're going to go back to those bedding areas and use them does just kind of they'll bounce around a little bit more you know they uh they kind of you know they'll get the second best plus they just that just seems to be their nature they don't always like buck he might a certain buck might even lay in a certain bed many days in a row those from what i see don't do that as often so your a lot of your buck beds are much bigger they could still be in groups this time of year because you know you'll have you'll have groups of bucks plus a buck doesn't always just keep laying in the same exact bed but he'll lay in the same area so just they're just going to be bigger beds um in prime locations and usually very worn down beds like a lot of times there's no snow inside of the bed because it's all melted out doe beds you a lot of times see snow still in the bed if you have snow you know no, I guess that was my next thing to, to lead into was the snow topic. Now, I know over in your neck of the woods, you guys have snow for like nine months of the year. Um, but we uh, sometimes we have it here in Ohio. Sometimes we don't. Currently, we do, although I think it might melt later next. Couple yeah, I mean, days. I, I got 44 and sunny, sunny here, but it's not going to be enough to melt all the snow we have. Right. So how do you utilize the snow at this point or? I guess if you've got snow, how are you utilizing it? Are you, are you, or if you don't have snow, if you go through a, a relatively dry winter, what are some things that you would look for in the woods at this time of the year? Um, I mean, I kind of like to have a mix of it right now. I'd prefer to have snow for shed hunting and most shed hunters don't because, uh, you know, the snow does cover up sheds. But generally your bigger sheds, which that's kind of what I mainly target. Even if, uh, say if you have a foot of snow, the, the antlers will start to collect some heat. And even if they're covered up, as long as you just don't keep getting back to back to back snowfalls, those antlers will start poking through the snow, even if they're buried. And that's mainly just bigger sheds. So, the, and it also like, I'm sure you guys are familiar, like for deer hunting, when you have snow, it creates a background that's more suitable for your eyes to spot deer. And it's really the same for sheds. Like if you're looking for sheds with no snow, it's kind of more of a brown on brown with the forest floor. But when you have snow, those tines poking through, like stick out like a sore thumb. You can see much better. Also, you're able to see where the deer have been more recently. And, you know, this time of year when it's colder, and you don't have snow, your droppings, your tracks, like that stuff, that sign holds, it makes it look much fresher than what it is. Like two month old droppings right now, because it's been cold, they're not all rotted out. And you really don't know exactly where the deer have been unless you have snow, because the snow is revealing the most freshest sign there is. So I do prefer to have snow, except I also, for postseason scouting, like for finding like certain trails and that kind of stuff uh even like rubs and scrapes sometimes with snow then it makes it more difficult but for shad hunting definitely prefer some snow is it one of those things that you kind of take note of those areas those 
say you stumble upon a you know deer highway or something and then you take note of it and come back later and hang a camera or you know put a pin on your maps or whatever and then come back and check it later in the summer or is it something where you're going to go in right away and hang a camera and really start you know, scouting that area for the next you know upcoming six months yeah i'm not putting a lot of cameras in new spots right now the main reason is it's just this time of year you have more battery issues uh you know you're if you're thinking for next year um you're going to definitely have to you know go back right after winter put new batteries in it so a lot of my new spots if i see something right now i like i'll probably wait till spring once it warms up and then put a camera there but i'm always and it doesn't even matter right now but i'm always looking for new things and it might be an area that i know very well but I'm always learning more and more about it. And uh, so if I see something, I mark it on my phone or in my notes, you'd be surprised. My, my brain, I don't, I'm not the smartest person, but it does a really good job of remembering whitetail information. So I, I, I have not run out of memory in my brain for my whitetail storage. <laughs> Those are priorities, Steve. That's a, that's, <laughs> yeah. You've got your priorities set straight. That's we, we, we get it, so. So, Yeah. You wouldn't I'm, want to tell my wife that, but I disagree. <laughs> All right. You don't tell me. Okay, we're good. So, um, <laughs> As far as the cameras go, I hear a lot of people say, you know, whether it's the last day of the season, they pull the camera and they're going out to get their cameras out and that kind of stuff. I've never really quite understood that. I think you are on the path because to me, uh, I'll have those cameras out and I want to wait till anybody showing up on their, you know, everybody that shows up on their has nothing on their head. Right. And after that point is when I'm going to go in and start scouring for, the sheds. I mean, that's what you you guys are doing. Yeah. You leave out until you know what, middle of March or so, April maybe. You got. I think they I mean, drop earlier up there than they do. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. Basically, anymore. I'm hardly even bringing a camera back home. Uh, I'll a lot of my cameras right now um, are still in spots where they were last fall, and I might just continue to keep them in those areas, but. I'm, I'm just leaving cameras out as much as possible to, to collect as much Intel as I can. I feel like it doesn't even matter what time of the year you can always learn something from having, I mean, you probably know I run like hundred some cameras. So that's a lot of eyes in the woods at all times. And I'm constantly collecting information no matter what time of the year it is. Plus I think one of the biggest keys, cause I, I don't elevate my cameras. But I think where I have the advantage of not having to do that is when you leave a camera there for so long, I'm telling you, the deer start to get used to it. They start to get more comfortable. When I have, and I don't have a major issue with not elevating cameras, but occasionally when I put a camera in a new spot, you know, especially mature bucks, they get a little bit, you know, leery about it. But when when something just stays there after a while, they're like, okay, I, you know, I'm used to this. This isn't, this isn't hurting. So, um, it, it, you're going to, you're going to do way better leaving cameras out more throughout the season and throughout the year than taking them all back home. So we're onto something I didn't even anticipate talking about, but you got hundred plus cameras out there. That's a lot mm-hmm. of pictures. How, how many of them <laughs> all are, are, I guess, uh, cell cams and i don't mean 
I'm just trying no, to figure yeah. out how yeah, you... Yeah, no, I... Last year, I think I only ran about 10 cell cameras. Right now, I'm not... I'm not even running any cell cameras uh, just because I really don't see a need for them right now unless um, I had a cell signal in an area that I was targeting a buck that I wanted to get sheds from. Any of the bucks um, that I'm after this year, most specifically, you can't put cell cameras in there. That's that's my biggest challenge with cell cameras. I love them. I think they're great, but they're, I have very limited cell signal in the areas that I hunt. So. Yeah, it's just just not worth it. The um, so then how do you catalog all this stuff? I mean, you just got files and files of pictures, and oh yeah, I can only yep. imagine what it's like going through a hundred cameras. I get excited when my two cameras, you know, send me twenty pictures at night. But yeah, and I I don't know if you guys know, but I even collect uh, a lot of data and I study from my cameras, like uh, you know, mainly just daytime buck movement, but. In the past three years, I have every daytime buck picture, whether it's a spike or a 160-inch 10-point, I have everyone journaled um, from October 1st to November, or December 15th. That's when I do my study. Basically, I'm only really interested in what happens through hunting season, uh, you know, but I like to monitor how weather and different factors influence buck movement. And I'll tell you what, it's really been it's been very interesting and a huge learning experience collecting all that data, but I'm talking every buck picture I've had out of a hundred some cameras in three years. I have, I have journaled and, you know, stored away. That's <laughs> so as thought. you're, as you're collecting that data and looking through what, what stood out the most. The biggest thing that stands out the most is temperature. Temperature has the greatest influence. I think on buck movement uh, just about any time of year. Um, and now it's funny if, you know, we jump into that a little bit, a cold front, you know, say you get a cold front in, you know, early to mid December, it will actually have an opposite effect on buck movement because, uh, bucks are more of in a winter survival mode and they will tend to move less a lot of times during a cold front then, but you get a cold front mid October, early November, pretty much any other time they're moving like crazy during the day. Um, but weather um, and mainly temperature, from what I see, uh, like another thing is you'd be amazed how just a cold morning, like a frosty morning, will have a huge impact on how bucks will move throughout the day. Like it can be, if it's like below 32 one morning and just turns into 70 in the afternoon, the movement will still be good. Like it, it, there's something in at least the whitetails that I observe, there's something inside of these deer that are triggered extremely by weather and especially temperature. It really triggers movement. Steve, on that uh, idea of the late November mid through mid-December where the cold front will hold them down, how much of that do you think is them just bearing down because it's, it coincides with your guys' uh, rifle season? Yep. And that's, that's another, another huge thing too. Um, if you looked at my data, most years, it's just like a light switch. Um, and eventually I'll post the graph. Uh, this, this sounds crazy, but I have all the data except one camera and it's like two miles back in. And I'm not until I check that last camera, I'm not 
really revealing much of my data. But uh, getting back to your question, um, as soon as gun season starts and after that, from gun season, from the beginning until like December 15th, when I quit collecting data, that is the absolute worst stretch of daytime activity throughout the whole year. So absolutely, it has a tremendous effect. And it might not affect as much like on private land. I'm only monitoring public land. So, you know, where you have a fair amount of hunting pressure. Wow. Well, <laughs> I, I know. My, now I'm just like, now you got my mind going. This, this is what always happens during our podcast is that somebody Yeah, that's says, okay. Oh, okay. Um, all right. So you pick up some data and stuff here in the, in the, the late winter. How much of it are you using for next, next, uh, spring uh, spring next fall when your uh season mm-hmm. starts again i mean is it something you take a lot of a lot of thought into or just kind of like okay i got it this is where they're been and yeah i uh to a certain extent like some people will tell you like i get pictures of the same buck every year within like a three-day period i i don't really see that very often the most consistent shift i see with bucks is like what I call the late summer, early fall shift. Um, when they, you know, just about or during, you know, they're shedding their velvet or just about shedding their velvet, they split up from their bachelor groups. That shift seems to be very consistent as far as like, it's, it seems to happen with individual bucks about the same time of year. And they tend to go to the same spot, um, during that shift. But other than that, uh, I'm not like real crazy about like, you know, it's October 20th. I had this picture of this buck in this spot this year. I'm going to hunt that same tree next year, October 20th. He's going to show up, but you will see like bucks have rutting areas. Uh, they have different areas they use for different times of the year. So that that's where then, you know, that data is helpful, but most importantly, uh, my main reason for data is learning how to predict deer movement, judge deer movement, and take advantage of it through, you know, through weather mainly. That's that's kind of my main thing. Um, and I, I am going to start paying more attention to the moon. I don't think the moon is is the greatest factor, but it definitely has some influence too on deer movement. So we've got let's just kind of wrap this up with, with shed hunting, uh, sure. because that's what, that's what, like, I, I really want to, I really want to be successful. This yeah. Year. Let's so make you, sure. We, so absolutely. that, that data talk, the deer stuff, I, I, I feel like we could dive into that for like hours and talk about <laughs> scouting into your movement. Um, yep. and you're going to, ha- you're going to have to come back on. So commit now to, to like a midsummer talk, Steve. Yeah. Um, no problem. So, so shed hunting, let's kind of tie this all together. You've got, so if, if I've got uh, public land, private land, doesn't matter. I've got deer pattern, 80% of your sheds you find in, uh, yeah, bedding areas. So, bedding so areas. when do you, yeah. When, when do you start looking for, like, when do these guys start dropping antlers? Is that, is it now? Is it January? Is it February, March? I, I so kid sorry. you not. I've seen, I've had bucks drop right around Thanksgiving before. That's not super common. Every year though, at least out of all my cameras, I'll get three or four bucks that have dropped even end of November. Um, It it just kinds to gradually get, you know, more frequent as the winter goes on. You'll 
there'll be a good, you know, another 10% usually in December, then January, you'll, you'll probably have 30% of your bucks dropping. And it, it does seem like February at most years for me is when I see the majority of, of the bucks drop. Um, it, but once again, I don't think, I think antler dropping, shedding, whatever you want to call it is all based on an individual deer, um, testosterone levels, his health, uh, mentally, physically, it's all tied into when those antlers drop. Um, and I even think some of it, you know, when I say mentally, I even, I think some bucks get to a certain point where maybe the antlers start to just feel a little bit loose and he's just like, I'm getting these things off. So every buck's a little bit different, but that's why I like running the cameras because I'm able to know who is dropped in, in a certain area. So how long do you have to find a shed? I mean, will they be there midsummer or are they going to be like, they just disappear? Like what, what eats a shed, I guess, is, is the dumb question. Yeah. Today. And I mean, that really varies, um, you know, mice, squirrels, rodents. I think they all have an effect on eating sheds. I don't, at least where I'm at, I don't think animals are your worst enemy. Um, you know, on public land, probably other shed hunters are your worst enemy. Plus, uh, it also depends on if you have an early spring and the woods get green really quick, you know, when all the grasses and ferns and weeds, they all start to sprout up. That's when it gets real challenging. So uh, putting as much time in before spring truly arrives, uh, that's most important. I will say many times, I mean, I, I don't know how, I don't have the number in my head, but I can tell you that I've shed hunted maybe a buck one year or even two years. And I only got like the one shed then two, three, four years later, maybe longer. I found the other one to match it up. So, uh, many of them I found that I believe had been sitting there four or five years and never even chewed a bit. So quite honestly, I, I rarely sometimes ever totally give up on a certain shed. I may not pursue it as heavily each year, but when I'm going in a certain area when, you know, if there was a really big deer in there that I shed hunted a couple years and, you know, I know that sheds in there somewhere, whenever I go back through there, I'll always look around for it again. And occasionally I've found it. Do you ever, do you ever run into like uh, deadheads or anything? Very few deadheads. Um, I want to say in my time, you know, as much as I've been doing this, I bet you I've only found like 10 deadheads. Uh, I've only ever found a couple really good ones. Um, and I did the smaller ones. I never even bring home because in Pennsylvania, I don't know if you guys know, if you take a deadhead, um, you, you actually have to report it to the game commission and then you might have to pay, uh, uh, $10 per point. That's how it works. So a four point to me or three point or a spike, like it's not worth paying 30 or 40 bucks or whatever. Now the game commission has been really good to me. The two nicer ones I've ever found, I called and they said, you know what, Steve, we just appreciate you calling and trying to do it right. And they actually, they gave it to me for free. Maybe, maybe I shouldn't have said that because I know there's other guys that have had to pay, but uh, I think most importantly, they just want to make sure people are abiding by the law. Yeah, for sure. Very cool. Well, I don't know, Paul, do you have any turkey questions, Steve? Do you do turkeys up there? I don't guide turkey, but I love the spring turkey hunt. So I am That's a big cool. turkey hunter. 
that's Paul. Fisher. Paul, do you have any, you have any questions for Steve? It was, it was funny. I, I, you're talking about hundred, hundred cell or hundred trail cams. I'm like, man, I wonder how many turkeys he gets on that. Like, oh yeah. Be able to figure out yep. where they're at. Pretty. Oh, I, so. that, actually the gobbler I killed last year. Um, uh, we had Hank, we didn't know we had all these turkeys hanging around our camp, but, uh, running the cameras was like, Holy cow, there's a pile of gobblers in here. And, uh, first or second day of spring Turkey, you know, I went up by the camp and shot one. So once again, the, the cameras paid off to me. <laughs> so I love it. Yeah. Multi tool. So, well, Steve, yeah, that's good stuff. We really appreciate your time, man. I know you got a busy schedule, so good luck this spring out there. Hopefully you find all the sheds that you're looking for. Uh, good luck in the Turkey woods and, uh, next fall. And we'll get you on again. Talk, talk more there, uh, in the summer. So yeah, for sure. Well, thanks a lot for having me guys. And I'm looking forward to the next talk. Sounds All good. Right. Thanks, yeah. Steve. Yep. Bye-bye.